0: I'm going to jump right into it, answering the question of why Jesus alone. It's my honor and joy to bring to you God's word as we continue this why series. Philippians chapter 2. Please bring your Bibles it will also be projected overhead. Let me read this for us. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. It's a character by the name of Ricky Bobby in that fine film, Talladega Nights. He's a professional race car driver, and he crashes during a race and he jumps out in his underwear and he frantically starts to scream because he thinks he's on fire. Help me, Jesus! Help me, Jewish God. Help me, Allah. Help me, Tom Cruise. Use your witchcraft on me. Help me, Oprah Winfrey. Unforgettable scene. Last week, we heard that singing gospel songs make gospel truths vivid and real to our hearts. Singing in music make gospel truths memorable I'm just going to add on to that. This is actually the earliest Christian gospel song. It was popular. It was memorized. It was clear and cogent. Paul recites it in our passage. And today, this gospel song, it does two things. It defines the most important elements of Christian faith and also defends the Christian faith from error. Gospel songs are definitive and defensive as well. They need to define what is it that is most crucial, important to believe as a Christian. And we also need to be able to defend against Ricky Bobbies. Against all kinds of creeds and beliefs and moods and prevailing cultural assumptions. Because here is a popular assumption that we all make you've gone to any form of schooling here in the west you've heard it you've taught it you've read it you hear it you might actually believe it today it goes like this all religions you know all religions are basically the same my closest non-believing neighbor or friend or relative this is this is the popular mantra this is the going creed all religions are basically the same 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 you know like Asians, yeah, Asians, you're all the same. Uh, you can choose Uber or Lyft, uh, same thing. Are all religions the same? Paul recites this song because it's actually the core of Christian beliefs. In most every circle that I've ever belonged to, I had the privilege to study at academic or counseling, or therapeutic, religious or non-religious, monotheistic or syncretistic circles, and even Christian circles in name. Jesus Christ, at least at the better ones, is at least promoted and regarded as one of the most influential historical figures who ever lived. I don't think that's up for dispute. Jesus Christ, the actual historical person in life of Jesus, is revered. Some people would even go so far as to say, he's the GOAT, the greatest of all time. I remember walking into a Sunday worship service of a church that I I love, but that was not a good experience because on the backstage, on the wall, the crowd would face the back wall. You would see a picture of Mahatma Gandhi, and there was a picture of Mother Teresa, and then Jesus was right there third, and I forget who was on the fourth, but I had a physical, visceral reaction because they were all on the same plane. They're all at the same eye level. Here in Philippians chapter two, Paul reveals, but Jesus is exalted above every name. Every knee will bow. Every. Religious or non religious, atheistic or agnostic, indifferent, uncaring or extreme, emotional or passive. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus, but did you know he earned a title? Did you know that Jesus entered a new state upon his crucifixion and resurrection? That Jesus Christ is Lord, Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, please do not leave out that last part to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is exalted above every name. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus' his name is Lord To the glory of God, the Father. Meaning, it is the glory and the grand goal of God. If there be a God who created everything. It is his chief aim that Jesus Christ would be exalted and revered and worshipped and adored. Above all, none other, no competitors, no rivals. Jesus alone. This song is definitive and it is defensive. And truth be told, they usually go hand in hand. The Heidelberg Catechism, the Apostles' Creed, the Westminster Confession of Faith, Philippians 2, this song, which is all steeped in the Holy Scriptures. They came about because back then and now, the Christian church is always assailed and tempted and seduced to believe slightly false, twisted things. And the truth of the gospel always has to be clarified, clarified again, revisited, recovered sometimes. And this song sings truth throughout all of eternity. Truth be told, all religions are not the same. All religions are not the same. Superficially, they're the same. But essentially, they could not be more different at its most significant points. Religions are superficially the same, but most significantly and essentially could not be more different. Like, who is God? Is there a God? And how can we be made right with God? Here's what Jesus repeatedly asked in his public teaching ministry Who do you say that I am? It was customary of Jesus Christ, the historical figure, to ask people, who do you say that I am? Why was this crucial for him? Why should this be a concern for us? Well, I think it's because... I don't know how many people in this room would feel genuinely flattered or praised if someone came up to you and said, oh, I cannot believe you wrote that book or I saw you on Instagram. That was a wonderful performance. And then soon enough, you figure out that they have you mistaken for someone else. I don't know anybody here would feel genuinely praised if someone came up to you and gave you credit for something you did not do. I don't know anybody here in this room that would like it if your photo or your character or your work life was somewhat misrepresented or misunderstood. Someone quotes you completely out of context and then that goes viral. I don't know how many people here would not be hurt or offended. I don't know anybody who feels genuinely accepted and loved until the other person really gets to know the worst parts about you. You see, until the other person really knows you inside out, Much of that is you're still trying to posture, pretend, and hide. You're not that free. And until you are absolutely still forgiven and you can still wake up in the same bed the next morning, then you begin to figure out, oh, this is somewhat like the love of God. Why would it be any different for Jesus? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Jesus Christ wants to know your answer. I've broken this into two parts. Two parts. The Jesus Christ identity, and the second part will be the Jesus Christ supremacy. Wonder where I got that from. But two parts. The Jesus Christ identity, and the second is the Jesus Christ supremacy. In Islam, Islam, Jesus is the highest-ranking prophet. He is beloved of God. But Jesus is not divine. It is also my understanding that the Quran is the only sacred text that tells us Jesus only appeared to die on a cross, but he actually didn't die. The religion of Islam deems Jesus as a highly elevated, regarded, beloved prophet of God, but nowhere close to God himself, and he didn't actually die upon the cross, which, by the way, All historians across the spectrum, right, pagan or spiritual or Christian or not, Roman or Jewish, all have recorded, there's no controversies that Jesus Christ as human being fully, utterly died on that cross. A second view, of course, of my fellow Jewish brothers and sisters in Judaism, Judaism. You can go look it up on Wikipedia. As soon as you say Jesus is the Christ or the Son of God or Savior of the world, Wikipedia will tell you you can no longer be a Jew. Jesus was not the messiah still awaiting the messiah to come. In Hinduism, which is the probably the most popular pantheistic religion, pantheism, god in everything and everywhere, Jesus was considered a god, small case g, but he's one of many gods. I mean, everyone is god, everything is god. Not a, nothing really too distinct about Jesus. Buddhism, which I would say is akin to atheism. Buddhism is actually not a religion per se. It's very atheistic because you're trying to reach nirvana and escape. And the Buddha has always considered Jesus as a very wise, enlightened man. Or Buddhism in itself teaches he's an enlightened man. Maybe the very best of us. New age, Jesus is a wise, moral teacher. Christianity believes Jesus Christ is uniquely both God and Savior of the world. The first Christian sermon by Apostle Peter when he stood up to preach was, God raised this man Jesus from death, whom you crucified. He's talking to a Jewish audience there. And he has made him both Lord and Christ. He's made him both God and Savior of the whole world. That's what Christians say about who Jesus is. And what Christians do with what Jesus or who he is is they worship him as God and they follow him. Because into eternity, my friends, more than how much you know, more than how religious you are, more than how much faith you have, more than how much you have done, who Jesus is to you, makes an eternal difference who he is to you not so much how much do you believe well you see here apostle paul unpacks it in uh, in this famous song who although he was in the form of god did not account equality with god a thing to be grasped now 99% of the time the english translation is fine it's great If you have different languages, it's wonderful that God communicates his truth. 99% of the time, you don't need anything else, except here. Here's the 1% time. I don't like this translation at all, because what does it sound like? The Greek word for form is morphe. And in the English, it may sound like, oh, well, Jesus only appeared to be like God, like he had a costume of God, or the mask of God, or he had just certain kind of aspects of God. Doesn't that sound like that in English? No, not in the Greek. Morphe means that Jesus shared in all the divine attributes, the essential nature of divinity. In case you're confused, because this is so crucial, Paul says it again in a different way. Jesus did not hold on to or continue to grasp equality with God. So you see, this Jesus is pre existent full divinity, pre existent equal with God in the morphe of God, in all the divine attributes. And there came a day that Jesus did not hold on to that equality with God. Verse 7a says, but emptied himself. Emptied himself. What is that? Emptied himself. Certainly it does not mean that Jesus laid aside his divinity and now he's less than God. Like he stopped being God at that moment. No, he did lay aside though the exercise of his divinity. Jesus never laid aside his full divinity, but he laid aside his exercise of divine functions. All religions are the same. Same, same. No, not if you look underneath the hood. Because the question that Jesus Christ asked, who do you say that I am? The answers could not be more different. The answers could not be more different. Jesus is both God and and savior of the world. That is what Christians believe and do. Let me just offer four remarkable revelations as to his identity. Instead of just giving these propositional statements. Four remarkable revelations of the identity of Jesus Christ. Number one, Jesus is worldwide famous without one photo. Jesus has gone global without one selfie. You read the gospel accounts about the life of Jesus Christ, tell me the description of his appearance. Anyone find one? There's no emphasis on his outward appearance or style. So you're telling me a worldwide movement has exploded purely based on character, purely based on life, purely based on his teaching, purely based upon the impressiveness of his integrity and lifestyle? Yeah. That tells you something about this man. His identity. He is famous with that one photo. Here's second Jesus is the only person who is not bigoted toward the bigoted. Please read about his character. Please read about his interactions. Please read about his political views. On the one hand, Jesus was rejected and ridiculed by religious professionals. Back in his day, that was the religious right. They were called Pharisees. They railed on Jesus because they looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, why do you keep hanging out with traitors, tricksters, fraudsters, the scum of the earth? Jesus hung out with the most marginalized, despised people in his day. Think who those people are today. Jesus would be there. So he didn't fit in with the religious right. So you might figure, oh, so Jesus would hang, hang out and spend most of his time with more liberal folks, more educated folks, more enlightened folks like me. Not true. Because the very people who railed on him and rejected him, called the Pharisees who were hypocritical religious pros, I, I don't understand. Jesus keeps like eating with them. He goes to their houses and he keeps talking to them. Jesus hung out with the very ones who were rejecting him. What does this show about Jesus. He does not fit into the right or to the left. He does not fit into your categories because he's not bigoted toward the bigoted. He is not bigoted toward the bigoted. Here's what Jesus did. Do you know that I think he's the only one who forgave his very enemies who were crucifying and killing him and his closest friends who betrayed him? Jesus Christ could forgive the ones who were nailing him to a cross and the ones who said they would be his BFFs for life, and they all fell asleep, and out of cowardice, they deserted him. Jesus is famous without one photo. Jesus is not bigoted toward the bigoted. Here's a third revelation I get from the scriptures. He's the most adept, wisest, versatile person you can ever meet. Jesus is the most adept, wisest, versatile person you could ever meet. You'd figure if fully God could assume full humanity, yeah, he's quite versatile. At times, there is no one more blunt. At times, there is nobody scarier. Nobody. I mean, do you you honestly think that if Jesus were to show up right now, you would feel like chummy, chummy, and comfortable right off the bat? He gave the most hellfire brimstone sermons. He talked about hell more than heaven. And then at the same time, he would turn around and be the most approachable, endearing, sympathetic, and tender. Jesus angered and upset proud people on power trips. That's why he upsets me. Jesus routinely upset proud people on power trips. And then he would welcome little children into his arms. And the children would feel safe and secure. And he would defend the widow. And he would speak up for the most vulnerable and defenseless in his day. Jesus was so versatile. Do you know that he didn't give the same sermon twice? It's not like he went around socially with a cookie cutter mold. Oh, everyone needs this answer. Even at Lazarus's funeral, which is a very good friend of his, Lazarus's sister Martha comes up to him, distraught that her brother has died. And in John chapter 11, Jesus turns around to Martha and gives hardcore theological truth. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. That's what he says to Martha upon the occasion of her brother's funeral. The other sister, Mary, comes to Jesus with the same kind of grief and request. If only you had been here earlier, my brother would not have died. And instead of giving hardcore theological truth, the scripture tells us this time for Mary, because Jesus knows your heart. He knows you. He customizes to you. Tailor, perfect fit. Says he just broke down in tears. Jesus is famous without one photo. Jesus is not bigoted toward the bigoted. Third, Jesus is the most adept, wisest, versatile person you could ever meet. And fourth, fourth, Jesus makes claims so narcissistic, egomaniacal, and messianic, you only have three options. Crown him, kill him, or have nothing to do with him. Okay, listen, friends, Jesus went around in public repeatedly saying stuff like, uh, yeah, you know, I was there when Satan fell, the origins of the devil. Like, I know how Beelzebub started. Like, if you're at a campfire and you're telling horror stories and one of your friends says that, I don't think you should be friends with that person after that campfire. Jesus shows up in your house, in your family, and says, you should love me more than your wife. You know your brother sister? You should forsake him. I'm way more important. You know the option of Jesus is a really, really good guy. It's like Mr. Rogers. Friendly guy, moral guy, conservative guy. I want my kids to learn from this guy. You know this is an option we made up? It could only happen in affluent, protected safety. This is an option never left to us because if you stop and think about it, if your brother and sister in your family one day said, I am the Messiah, come to save the whole world. Not only would you laugh and vomit, would you ever end up worshiping and following your brother and sister as being that was true? But with Jesus, that's exactly what happened. Crown him, kill him, or have nothing to do with him. used to be a standard religious textbook across universities and colleges. It's by Houston Smith in a book entitled The World's Religions. Here's what he observed. Houston Smith, not a Christian historian. Here's one of his conclusions. Quote, How many people have provoked this question? Not who are you, but what are you? Only two. Jesus and Buddha. In both cases, people had never seen anyone like them. People wanted to worship them. According to Houston Smith, he isolates two top candidates who were so impressive, who were so like magnetic. People in their day wanted to worship them. He elevates to it, Jesus and Buddha. But here's the difference, historically speaking, between Buddha and Jesus, Jesus. Buddha categorically insisted and refuted every single time where people would come and try to worship him. He said, I am just like you. I'm fallible like you. Please follow my dharma, my code, my teachings in order to reach nirvana, but please do not fall down and worship me. This is on the record. Buddha never thought of himself as God, never claimed to be God, and refused any treatment that was equal and deserving to God alone. But then in the scriptures, we have people like Thomas who fall down on their feet, and he says, my Lord and my God, and then Jesus acts like he deserves it. People fall at the feet of Jesus, and they worship him, and Jesus welcomes it. It's like, oh yeah, that's what you should be doing. we get to the second part, the Jesus Christ supremacy. Back to the question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? What makes Jesus supreme? Well, so far, for those of you who've been paying attention, and it maybe been around Christian people or circles, or read an author by the name of C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, you might have heard this argument before, and you're like, oh, a little bit like stale to it. Like, oh, yeah, the whole Jesus is Lord or liar or lunatic argument. You got to crown him, kill him, or have nothing to do. I heard there been, there, been there, done that. Pastor, I have a fourth option. There's a fourth option, or you're missing. This is all fake news. Forget liar, Lord, and lunatic. This is legend. Fake news, fabricated by Christian people, fabricated by institutions, fabricated by corrupt religious professionals. Jesus never really claimed to be God. Well, my friend, how else though then do you explain the public humiliating crucifixion of Jesus Christ in the first century? See, if you actually believe this is fake, legend that Jesus never claimed egomaniacal crazy things, how did he end up on a cross? History will tell you The Jewish people were so offended, they charged him with blasphemy. Jesus made claims that was antithetical to the Jewish religion. And then the Roman Empire and the state had to act because of the political and social unrest. We have a relatively peaceful, innocent, good man, and then he gets hung up on a cross. Why? Why does he end up at the cross? Jesus claimed egomaniacal things. Well, now, after he was crucified and hung up on a cross, where's the body? Why was the tomb empty? Why is that tomb empty to this day, like 2,000 years later? Like, you do know if someone could produce with the DNA of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, we could produce and roll out his dead body and bones right here, right now, Christianity would collapse overnight. Like, we're done, finished, everyone go home. We've all been wasting our time. Apostle Paul says, We're the most foolish, stupidest people ever existed. If Jesus never bodily was raised from death, we cannot be forgiven of sin. We're believing in a fraud. We have no facts. We have no grounds. But it's an empty tomb. And to this day, no body has been produced. Let me just press a little bit further. You don't have to believe in Jesus as the Christ today. No, not at all. We welcome you here. We don't have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You don't have to believe Jesus is divine. Not yet, you don't have to believe it. But I do want you to think through. I do want you to think through. Do you have a better explanation as to why Christianity flourished after the death of its founder than Jesus actually was raised from death? Now again, you see, I'm not asking you that you have to believe Jesus rose from death. I'm asking you to consider, you do know that millions and billions of people believe that he actually did rise from death or else Christianity would have never begun. Like to this day, there's billions of people who still worship Jesus as God because we actually are convinced not just on faith, but on historical facts. It's always a combination. It's always a combination. But do you have a better explanation why Jesus Christ, his movement and religion is worldwide after his death? Other than he might have actually Risen from death. There's a point at which you must pass from being a historian, a student, or a casual observer. And there might be many of you right here Sunday after Sunday. There's a point at which, my friend, you must pass from that stage to Christian or kill him or have nothing to do with him. Do you know why you have to pass that point? Do you know why, as your friend or brother, I don't even have to be a pastor. I am pleading with you. There's no more important question to get right. Who do you say that I am? Do you know why you should have a personal take on Jesus? Because Jesus himself is going to have a personal take on you. But look. <laughs> If any of this is real, okay, my friend, listen, if any of this is real, do you know you have to face Jesus Christ? Like He's coming back as a holy judge in perfect righteous justice. Like Jesus is not going to tolerate, well, all your life was this kind of passive, casual indifference, one foot in, one foot out. You never got this question right? Who is Jesus to you? Like That doesn't really concern you? If you want to be a socially savvy person in this day and age, a massive percentage of history and humanity today worship and fall before Jesus as God. Just to be socially savvy, you should have a take on Jesus. But what's way more important than being socially savvy, you got to be socially conscientious with Jesus himself. And my friend, I don't preach this enough. Jesus is not going to change one whit because you're outraged. Jesus is not taking popularity polls. Jesus is not trying to accommodate to the academic professional elites of our day. God is not one whit threatened or altered because billions of people don't like what he does and says. God is not going to change because you and I don't like it. And you see, up to this point, Jesus Christ will have a take on you. Who do you say that I am? And if we were to stop here, we would have no songs. (laughs) There's nothing to sing about here, is there? But this is truth. We don't like singing songs about this part of the truth. And the good news is that Philippians chapter 2, the supremacy of Jesus Christ is about his saving love and his absolute accommodation. Jesus Christ did not have to change one whit because of what I think and feel about him and what he did and how he did it and when he did it and his methods and his intelligence or wisdom. Oh, I don't think it's just so outrageous what he thinks and does here. That That does not threaten Jesus. And yet, and yet, do you know of anybody else who accommodates himself all the way although he did not have to? To come after your heart with the supremacy of his love. Listen, more on this on Easter in April. Uh, I'm not a Christian because of the stuff that I just said the last five minutes. I would never become Christian because of that. I'm a Christian because on top of that, I can't believe and I've never met somebody who could love me better. Nobody does it better. Nobody can love you more. Nobody can love you longer. Nobody can love you deeper. Nobody surpasses or exceeds the love of Jesus Christ, because nobody else rightfully deserves everything, but then turned around and gave up everything instead for you. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. My friend, Jesus was nailed and he was crucified on a cross because he was taking your sin, your death, your justice, your condemnation, your indifference. And to the most indifferent runaway heart, Jesus came all the way running after you to the point of his own death. This is the supremacy of his love. That's why even Napoleon once admitted I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Next slide, please. I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius upon force? Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. What can possibly capture this selfish, stubborn, blind heart? Who comes and steals this heart? The supremacy of the love of Jesus Christ? There was a mom in her home frantically looking around. True story. She said, "Where are my car keys? Where are my car keys?" happens to all of us and our three-year-old son by the name of Jude came up to the mom and he said this mommy I hope you never lose your heart because I'm in there mommy I hope you never lose your heart because I'm in there who teaches a three-year-old that love is real Who taught that three-year-old about the sanctity, the security, and the absolute transcendent power of love? If you're a materialist, if you're a scientist, if you're an evolutionist, if you believe there's nothing more than this world, you do know love is absolute, just a brain chemistry trick. But if you do believe in the supernatural, there is more than meets the eye. This God, through Jesus Christ alone, came and he died. He died to put you, keep you, hold you in his heart and in his hands forever. The supremacy of the love of Jesus Christ is what steals hearts. And it's the supremacy of his saving love that has gone worldwide. We're about to sing the hymn after we celebrate communion, but I don't know many people who could pen it better. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That's why Christians get to sing and we've been singing from the beginning. Because we cannot get over the supremacy of his saving love. So what? So what? Let's close with two things. So what? So what? Christian people are given a new missionary mindset. We read it in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. What's that new missionary mentality? Christians are dying now to give, not to get. Let me say that a different way. Christian people who aren't doing that, we're not living up to what Jesus did, died to give you. Christian people are dying to give, not to get. You put other people above yourself. A new missionary mentality here's the second so what god will put jesus christ above anybody else that's how history will end there it is the grand goal and the glory of god into eternity into forever god will put jesus christ above every other name here's why not just because it works for billions of people It's because a father in heaven would not dare diminish or dilute and share his glory with anyone else, much less anyone else who loved you so less. God bestows and reserves his highest glory upon his own son because nobody else loved you like he did, even to the point of death upon a cross. No greater, no holier love can you find than in Jesus Christ. Every love you're looking for, oh, my friend, it's all a tease. It's all a tease. The only love that will fill and satisfy your heart is the love of Jesus Christ. That's his supremacy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray now that as we come before you to your table... Spirit, fill our eyes, our mouths, our hearts, our senses with the reality and the beauty of the gospel once again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.